This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insight on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Spring Conversations. transformational healing process has begun on the planet Earth. Due to a profound change that has taken place in the energy field of collective human emotional consciousness, resources are now available to us to do healing that has never before been possible in recorded human history. Human beings now, for the first time, have the capacity to directly address the core issues of the human dilemma. The truth, as Robert Burney feels and understands it, is that who we are are spiritual beings having a human experience. We are not here as some kind of punishment. We are here to experience being human, to go through that puzzling human experience we call life, the dance of life, the dance that is life, the dance of wounded souls. We are the wounded souls. We are the spiritual beings who have been wounded by coming into human bodies in the spiritually hostile environment that has been present on planet Earth for thousands of years. The conditions on the planet have changed. That is the joyous news that I have to share with you. The dance is changing. Since before the dawn of recorded history, the dance of life for humans has been primarily one of survival of endurance, of suffering. We have now entered a very special time in human history. An age of healing and joy has dawned in human consciousness on this planet. We now have tools, knowledge, and most importantly, clearer access to healing energy and spiritual guidance than has ever before been available in recorded human history on this planet. The dance is changing. A transformational healing process has begun on planet Earth. We have begun the process of breaking out of the vicious, self-perpetuating cycles of destructive behavior that humans have been trapped in for thousands of years. The destructive dance is changing into a dance of healing. The new dance of healing is most simply called recovery, while the old destructive dance has acquired a new name, codependence. Valeria interviews Robert Burney. Robert Burney is a pioneer in the area of codependency recovery, inner child healing. His first book, Codependence, The Dance of Wounded Souls, has been called one of the truly transformational works of our time. And he has been described as a metaphysical Stephen Hawking, a counselor slash coach and spiritual teacher whose work has been compared to John Bradshaw's, except much more spiritual, and described as taking inner child healing to a new level. 
Robert has developed a pioneering approach to codependency recovery and inner child healing paradigm that offers a powerful, life-changing formula for integrated love, spiritual truth, and intellectual knowledge of healthy behavior into one's emotional experience of life. A blueprint for individuals to transform their core relationship with self and life. His website, joytomeu.com, offers over 200 pages of free original content and he shares the transformational formula he discovered for inner healing through telephone slash Skype counseling with people around the world and in day-long workshops that he offers periodically. A few years ago, he launched a mobile-friendly version of his site for all the people accessing the internet on mobile devices joy to meu2.com. Here is the interview with Robert Burney. In your own words, who is Robert Burney? <laughs> I am a recovering alcoholic addict. I've been clean and sober since January 3rd, 1984, and a recovering codependent. I've been I come my co- conscious codependency recovery is starting on June 3rd, 1986, and I'm a coach and counselor and a spiritual teacher and a pioneer in the inner child healing and codependency recovery movement. Oh, wow. I have lots of questions for you so we can explore these areas. Um, before we talk about some of the topics in your book, The Dance of Wounded Souls, A Cosmic Perspective of Codependence in the Human Condition, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off-record. What does it mean to be a human being, Robert? What does it mean to be a human being? Well, I believe that who we really are is spiritual beings having a human experience. Right. And that we're just here going to boarding school and learning lessons and settling karma, but we got programmed in childhood the opposite, to think the opposite, and to look at instead of knowing we have inherent worth because we're connected to the oneness of everything, we got taught that, you know, like I got taught I was born sinful and shameful and deserve to be punished. You know? So one of the things they talk about in, in the 12-step recovery program is living life on life's terms. And I, what I found is I had to redefine what life's terms were so that I so that I could find a way of living that worked for me. Because the life's terms I learned in childhood don't work. They really set me up to 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 not be happy and not, not feel like I was lovable and worthy. Tell me about it. <laughs> I think we all can relate to that for sure. Well, you know, the, in, in my book, I use the... Uh, I talk about how in order to change our perspective, our, our, our relationship with anything, we need to change our perspective of it. And I use, a, I quote the old joke about three blind men describing an elephant by touch, and they're touching three different parts of the elephant, and they're describing three completely different things. And I said, each one is, is speaking his own truth. They just have a lousy perspective. And that's what codependency is, is we have a lousy perspective of who we are and how to do human, what the meaning and purpose of human life is. And so we ended up living our life. You know, we got completely set up to not know how to do romantic relationships in a healthy way. You know, we learned in childhood that starting with we got dysfunctional programming, starting with fairy tales that taught us when we meet our princess, prince or princess, we're going to live happily ever after. 
And then the fairy tales were followed up by the books and movies and songs that taught us that what romantic love is, is I can't smile without you, I can't live without you, you are my everything. That's not love. You know, that's an addiction. Yeah, so true. <laughs> when we think the other person, we have to have the other person in our life to be okay. What we end up doing is trying to control the other person. And that's not love either, you know. That is so true. So true. I'm wondering how we can teach children to live in such a way in, with this healthy perspective. I mean, really a true perspective in my view. The biggest thing with kids is the role modeling. We need to get healthier ourselves in order to be healthy. Mm -hmm. You know, as I say in my book, you know, do as I say, not as I do doesn't work with kids. You know, and we, should, we need to get healthier ourselves in order to be, uh, be healthier parents and to teach our our children healthier ways of living i have an example in my book where i talk about uh, like a three-year-old you know a mother's crying in her room and a three-year-old comes in it looks to three-year-old like mom's dying and mom and he said mommy i love you and then she said oh i love you so much honey and come here and you know i i use and i just really expresses her love for the for the little kid but what I what I say here is it's just a touching scene. I said, no, it's emotional abuse because the child just got the message that he has the power to save mommy's life. Mm. Oh, wow. It's really healthy is for the mother to say, no, it's okay to cry. Somebody, everybody cries sometimes. It's okay. You know, we want a role model that it's okay to have feelings and how to ha deal with them in a healthy way instead of giving the child the message that they have the power uh, over a parent's feelings. So that's one thing that uh, is real normal in our culture. Yeah. Um, what is the meaning of well-being to you? Well-being, well, to me, well-being is about balance. It's about being balanced. And uh, that's part of what we need to learn to do is have some balance emotionally, you know, physically, spiritually, mentally. And uh, so that's part of the healing process is learning to, to find uh, a sense of balance. You know, balance isn't someplace we get to and we stay at. You know, I, I kind of compare it to a, a, a pendulum swinging. You know, part of part of what's so hard for codependents is to stop judging and shaming ourselves. The more we're judging and shaming ourselves, the wilder the swings of the pendulum are. They go to extremes. The less we judge and shame ourselves, the, the less extreme, you know, the gentler the swings of the pendulum get. But uh, we don't ever get to, to balance and stay there because life's always rocking our boat a little bit. You know? right, so what true. we do when we get a sense of balance is we have tools. You know, that's one of the things I talk to people about when I'm teaching them how to do the work I, I teach them to do is that they're developing a new toolbox to use when they start feeling a little bit out of balance so that they can get themselves back to more balance. You know, uh, it's about because, the you know, part of the you know, the part of what the set fairy tales set us up for is to believe there's a destination to get reach to reach. Right, right, and right. No destination in life. Life right. is a journey, you know. But we spend most of our life trying to get there. Mm. And there is there <laughs> yeah. to, you know. It's funny, but it's true. <laughs> learn to be more present and be present in the moment and and be able to be in tune with ourselves enough to see when we're getting out of balance. So we can use our tools to get us back into balance. Yeah, I love that idea. This, um, yeah, the methods. There are so many nowadays. You talk in your book too. We have so many healing methods available. So balance, that's an interesting topic. I'm wondering what are the signs when we are balanced? For you, what are the signs when you feel balanced? Part, uh, part of being balanced is being present, being mindful, you know. 
and just being present in the moment today and being able to deal with whatever is life bringing us in a in a more balanced, grounded way instead of reacting. You know, as when we haven't done the inner child work, uh, what we do is we have these. You know, our our emotions are a vital part of our being. Our emotions are actually what tell us who we are. But we have all these emotional reactions that aren't telling us the truth. And when our, one of our buttons gets pushed, one of our inner child wounds gets triggered, we, we have these reactions where, and we're not being present in the moment. You know, we're reacting, what we're, when we're reacting, we're, we're reacting to uh, how the child felt then, not what's appropriate for an adult of our age and knowledge or experience to feel in the situation today. But it feels like our total reality. You know, it feels like our total truth. Yeah, and that's the reason why we are driven by the unconscious mind, right, as well, uh, if we are not aware, of course. So let me ask you a few questions about life in general. What is life to you? Uh, well, I believe that, uh, you know, that, I, like I said, like we're spiritual beings having a human experience and that we come in just to body to go to boarding school, to learn lessons and to settle karma. And karma, I believe, is a law of energy interaction that dictates that every law, every cause, every action or cause on the physical plane is paid for with an effect of, on the physical plane. And so, in other words, everybody ends up even. Nobody ends up in the hole. There's no hell in an afterlife. Everything, all the debts get paid here. You know, the, what you sow, you reap. And but it's over multiple lifetimes. You know, and so uh, we have we. Those of us, I believe that the people who are, are forced to do the healing in this lifetime are old souls who were born at a heart chakra level of consciousness, and they're doing their healing and settling karma because they're near the end of the karmic merry-go-round. But, you know, most people on the planet are old souls, and they don't know what we're talking about. So, Right. So, lifetimes, that's another interesting subject. Do you, is that a belief, or this is a knowing, that there are other lives after this one? I think it's something I know. Yeah, is it, it where what happened is when I got into twelve-step recovery, I didn't want to hear. I wouldn't even say the word God because I'd been raised in a religion that taught me I was going to burn in hell forever if I even thought about sex. You know, I didn't have to do anything to go to hell. And I didn't like that God. So when I first got into recovery, um, I would say the force is with me because I always resonated with that. <laughs> or uh, I spent time with the Native Americans and I really loved the concept of, a, of the great spirit whose pre- you know, energy is present in everyone and everything. But they told me what they told me in, in the uh, 12-step recovery program, which is part of the genius of the 12-step recovery pro- program, is that I could have a higher power of my own understanding. And so that started me on a spiritual quest to figure out how there could be a loving higher power in the universe. And and one of the first leaps I had to make, one of the first shifts in perspective, paradigm shifts, was to see that if we're only here one time, there's no way it's loving and, and positive. You know, we've got starving children over here and billionaires over here, and that there's no way that can be loving and, and fair. And so it has to be over a, a span of multiple lifetimes where everything evens out in the end. And so, uh, you know, and then I did, I did a lot of uh, investigation of past lives, of my own past lives and stuff. And, and, uh, and so I, yeah, I, I believe that there are past lives and that, uh, that I'm doing karmic settlement for some of the stuff that happened then. Now. Right. So this is uh, very much based on our own experience, right, Robert? Uh, to say that we know about lifetimes and all that, it's something that we can only speak from our own experience. 
Um, I know that there are so many religious beliefs out there, Buddhism, Hinduism, and so many others. Um, I really believe in direct experience. I think that's the most reliable source when it comes to any kind of knowledge. So I have one more question, follow-up question to that one, what life is. What do you think is the opposite of life? Well, in my book, I say that evil is live spelled backwards. <laughs> so I believe, you know, that, that codependency is the human condition as we've inherited it and that the human condition was caused by planetary conditions. It's not caused by people, by human beings being flawed and defective. It wasn't, it wasn't because of some, you know, dude in a garden who, who didn't have any boundaries, you know. It, and, and I believe it's by, because of planetary conditions and that those planetary conditions started off with the polarization of the lower mind, the energy field of collective human intellectual consciousness. And that polarization caused people to see themselves as separate from each other and separate from God. And that's what made violence possible, what made it possible to start killing the planet, you know. And, and uh, so that is that illusion of separation that was the original wound that was caused by the polarization. Right. In a way, you're saying that separation, that sense of that idea of separation, it might be the opposite of life. Yeah, it is, you know, because it's, it's an illusion and it's not the truth, you know. And of course, uh, in Hindu, I think that Maya is the word for both illusion and life and death is, is just, you know, like one of the things I say in my book is we get taught to fear and ignore death and to never live life. And what I believe is we want to learn to live life and know that death's going to happen. We're going to, it's going to be a transition to a better place. I believe, you know, I choose to believe that. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, uh, what, what's the tra real tragedy is, and what's uh, the opposite of living is to not be able to live life, you know, to not, mm -hmm. to live life in, in unconsciousness and in, in, uh, you know, to live life in the matrix. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The illusion. Right. What do you think? Or what is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? Well, freedom is is really about having freedom from judging and shaming myself. Freedom from you know, feeling like I'm my own worst enemy. Feeling like I'm flawed and defective somehow. Freedom mm -hmm. to to uh, be more be alive and to be open to feeling joy and love and peace in the moment every day of my life and uh, but also in order to do that i had to be willing to feel the anger and the pain and the grief also you know because i in childhood i learned to stuff my feelings and to block the anger and the pain and the grief and that caused me to to block the love and the joy and the peace and so i believe that we can access that there's a transition tra a transformational uh, vibrational emotion uh, that we can access in the moment by being in the moment and, uh, you know, by, and, and the easiest place for most of us to do that is, uh, in nature, mm, yes. animals or with kids, yes. you know, yes. hardest place to do that is with other people. Cause that's where our wounding came from. And that's where all our defenses are. You know? Oh, wow. So true. Yeah. The healing process in my case had been a lot of the unpleasant experience around human beings. And then I notice how I am drawn to human beings all the time. I want to be close to them. We are not separate. How wonderful. I really love this experience, <laughs> this journey. It's fascinating. So my other question is about what's happening here, uh, the current situation. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And do you have a vision for a new reality? 
I don't really have a vision for a new reality, but what's what is going on in the world right now is the poison's coming to the surface. You know, we're we're going through a planetary cleansing, and sometimes when the we have to go through a cleansing, the poison comes to the surface. And the po- the poison is the polarity, it's the the whole us against them kind of stuff. You know, when 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 the lower mind was was um, polarized, that's when we started seeing yin and yang as competing forces instead of one whole. And that's part of you know, cause the illusion of separation. And and right now we've got polarization all over the world, you know. And it, it's, there. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever heard of the Great Council of Grandmothers? It's an organization of, uh, I think it's 13 different grandmothers from different Native American Aboriginal uh, tribes around the world. And uh, last year, somebody put something up on uh, Facebook about it. And I, it was, this is a statement that they put out, put out in uh, November of 2016. You have elected a, not a man, but a moi to lead you. He is a boy in an old man's body. Moi's are a combination of man and boy, but mostly boy. They are large and have loud voices, so people mistake them for men, but they are not men. A man thinks of the common good, while a moi has not learned to think of anyone but himself. He has not fully developed and is still a child. Your country has elected a Moy to be its next president. Russia, is, as well as Syria, are led already run by Moyes, while Africa is overrun with them, each Moy creating havoc in his area on that continent. The Philippines is run by a Moy, and so are several other countries. It is, is it any wonder the world is lurching from crisis to crisis? You know? And so that, that fits in with what I understand about the planetary conditions and the, this polarization coming to the future, it's coming to the surface. And I really have no idea how it's going to look afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Wow. It's all, it's all illusion anyway, so. <laughs> it is. It is, Robert. Yeah, it is. Um, I have three more questions for you, in one of which is about peace. So um, I'll ask you in a moment, because uh, it made me think about inner peace. That's the only place we can really find peace. So let me ask you this question before that. What is love to you? What is your understanding of the word love? You know, it's interesting. I have a, a series of articles called The True Nature of Love. And the first one turned out to uh, be uh, what love is not. Because what, what triggered the whole thing was here. I don't know if I heard it or read it or it was just an intuitive thing. But the message, the line was, if somebody loves you, it should feel like they love you. And in my article, I started off talking about that and, and, and that I had realized that I had never in my life at, at that point, experienced somebody loving me that it felt like they loved me. You know, what it felt like is they were controlling and manipulative and shaming and abusive and and all this other stuff, you know, and uh, and that that's not love. And, and so then I went on to my next article. I started writing what love was, and I, and I realized that um, I, I I was having trouble starting writing the article, and and so sometimes what I what I'll do is a word will come to mind, and I'll I'll look the word up, and I look the word up, and it said and it was em, empirical, and it says that you know by experience, you know by you know in, in I can't remember the exact words, but in in your experience, and then it says as opposed to meta empirical, which is like metaphysical, it's beyond beyond experience, you know, and then realized as I was writing that is that when I say that love is not painful and and controlling and manipulative, that's not my experience telling me that. That's my intuition telling me that. 
And as I, if I had gone by my experience, I would have said, life, you know, love is controlling and manipulative and painful, you know. That's a very good point. Yeah, I just mentioned earlier about having the experience, whatever we talk about, it's important to have had the experience. But it's true for certain things like love or the ultimate truth about life, um, especially unconditional love. I think it can be felt, but it's uh, very challenging to put into words. Yeah, it's beyond words. Right? So my next question is about peace. What is peace to you, Robert? How do you define this word? Well, I, the first I remember the first time I ever was conscious of feeling serenity. My response was, ew, what's this? I feel empty inside. Because mm -hmm. I didn't have all the churning and all the conflict going on. You know, the, the more I learned to change my relationship with myself in life, so I could, I, I believe that the, the, the serenity prayer is a mystical formula about how to do life success, successfully. You know, I need to let go of trying to control things I can't control, like other people in life, and take some loving control over the things I can control. But we programmed growing up to live the serenity prayer backwards, to think we should be in control of things we can't control like other people in life and to not have any and not have any effective way of taking control of things we can because we learn to try to control ourselves with shame and judgment and fear we shame and judge ourselves the rebel in us rebels against that mm. and does what i call the battle cry of codependence which is i'll show you i'll get me so somebody does something to hurt me then i do something to hurt myself you know? so i needed to learn to have loving internal boundaries to stop the critical parent voice in my head from shaming and judging me, and to, to be loving parent to the inner child wounds inside of me, stop them from running my life at the same time I was being loving and kind to them. And part of being a loving parent is setting boundaries, but it needs to be consistent boundaries. Consistent boundaries make children feel very insecure and unsafe. And when we have, you know, when our parents were, were emotionally unhealthy and, and wounded, they couldn't give us consistent boundaries, you know, and so we felt unsafe and insecure and so with by starting by developing an, an empowered adult part of us that can set boundaries of the critical parent voice and can be the loving parent to the inner children then i could find start finding a place where i had inner peace no matter what was going on outside of me yes yes a thousand times to that i have a question before the last one i have to ask you this one how do we know when we are letting go and we when we are giving up? Uh, well, was, you know, when they first got into recovery, they talked about surrendering, and I thought that I was losing. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, I felt like enough of a loser already. Somebody told me at one point that um, surrendering is just meaning you you join the winning side. You know, and so <laughs> um, I what I came to realize is that. The purpose of me making plans is so that my higher power, the universe, can teach me how to let go and surrender and accept and have patience, you know, and that, you know, I need to keep following where I'm led, but I need to keep letting go of thinking I know where I'm going because I don't, you know, because I, I mean, my higher power tends to give me, let me think I'm going where I want to go when it's where I need to go. And uh, so I just need to keep letting it go. And, and so, um, and, and letting go isn't something you do when it's done with, you know, letting go is something we do over and over and over again. And what, what I learned to do is, you know, I, there was a saying that I got heard in early recovery that became like my mantra and it was uh, more will be revealed, you know? And what I came to realize is 
that more is revealed on a need-to-know basis than is not my idea of what I need to know. <laughs> the universal idea of what I need to know often feels to me like the last fucking second. Oops, excuse me. But <laughs> often feels like the last second. And I need to just keep letting go of thinking I need to know the plan because I'm not in charge. I need to take actions. I need to plant seeds. I need to do the groundwork. But I need to keep letting go of thinking I'm not going to be okay until I get there because that's that old destination thinking. When I observed, when I realized I was in fear, and fear is always about the future, and when I realized I was in fear, I would say to myself, that's about the future. I don't need to know that today. Let that go for today, you know. And I also realized I spent a lot of my life trying to and de- worrying about decisions I never had to make. So I, I learned to say to myself, I don't need to know that today. I don't need to decide that today. You know, I'll turn that over to my higher power. Wow, I love that. This idea of trust. And if we can do this in every moment, then it would be, I mean, it's just a practice for life. That's wonderful. I'm practicing every moment just to stay here. <laughs> and I wonder. Yeah. And, and the ego, ego tries to take control again, so we have to let it go again and let go again and let go again. But yeah, so that's what we, but that's about being conscious of what's going on inside of us and not, not letting the outside stuff define us. You know? Exactly. Yes. My last question Do you ever use the word God? Yeah, I use the word God now. I didn't in early recovery. Um, most often, though, I like to use God, Goddess, Great Spirit. You know, I actually uh, I have one thing that I wrote that I'm never going to finish, but the first thing I wrote that uh, starts off uh, once upon a time in a place where there is, is no time in a place where there is no place, God was alone. And I, I describe God as being the energy of all that is vibrating at the frequency of absolute harmony, which is love, all capital letters, and I call it the Holy Mother Source Energy. I think that's the true, what true, is truly God. But God's a, a word I can I can use now, which I couldn't in the beginning recovery. Right, right, yes, yeah, I understand. Wonderful. So let's talk about your work. Uh, my first question has to be this one: How did you become a writer, and what was the inspiration and intention of writing your book, The Dance of Wounded Souls? Well, you know, I I. I can remember a moment in my teenage years when I got an in, I got a message that I was going to write a book of truth one day, but I had no idea what truth was at that point. <laughs> you know, <laughs> after after I got uh, sober, I, so I, I said I was working on being a writer, but I wasn't really writing. You know, I actually was doing an acting career for some years, and uh, I played around a little bit with writing, but I wasn't really writing. After I got uh, sober, uh, well, in my fifth year of sobriety, I went to a treatment center for codependency, and as I was leaving the treatment center, I ran into one of the family therapists, and she said, you know what you are as a mystic, and I didn't even know what she was talking about, you know, I, so I had to look up in the dictionary and find out what a mystic is, but that caused me to open up to a certain kind of getting communication and i started first thing i started writing was this mystical magical fairy tale fable where uh it starts off with once upon a time and in in that piece of work my higher self appears to me as a unicorn that gallops off of a picture on my desk when i was in a, my casita in taos new mexico and then takes me on a, a journey through time and space and teaches me things. 
And um, that was um, so I, I started writing that. I wrote a, a lot of a lot of that off and on for a couple of years. But in the meantime, I started doing I was doing my codependency recovery, inner child healing. And and I, I was thinking of them as two different things. And then they came together, you know, and uh, in the early 90s, there was codependency became a big buzzword and and there were a lot of coda meetings and going and and people were asking me to speak in different places and i started hearing myself say things in public that were mystical kind of information that i never thought i'd say in public and i realized that there was a a, a message coming through me so i set up some dates to do a talk in june of 1991 and then i couldn't write it because it wasn't linear and i couldn't figure out how to organize it but the last 48 hours before the first time I gave it, I wrote almost continuously. And when I first gave the talk, I had it was on yellow legal pad. And that was the, the, the basic outline of the book, of my book, Dancing Wounded Souls. And it evolved some over the years, but that's where the book was written. So I say, I say I wrote it in, you know, many, it took me many years and it took me 48 hours, you know, because it was, and, um, <laughs> So I, I wrote it because I felt the message coming through me and I needed to, I had gotten the message already earlier in my recovery that my job in this lifetime, my mission in this lifetime was to stand up in public and speak my truth, even if the whole world said I was crazy. So when I came to do the talk for the first time, I felt like I could have, was remembering being stoned by an angry mob. <laughs> it was pretty scary up there, but then they, the people could hear me, amazed that they could hear me, you know. Wow, that's an amazing story, and um, yeah, that's uh, life itself manifesting through you. I have a question for you about the soul. Is it the soul the same as the uh, spirit? Do you connect those two words? Well, uh, in a way, yeah. I mean, there, I, there's a there's soul with a capital S, which is a higher level of the soul, you know, and then there's soul soul with a small s that comes into human body, and that I think is the same as a spirit. But this is all, you know, all this is a dance of energy. This is all, you know, in my book, I use quantum physics and molecular biology to describe God. Because it's all a dance of energy. We're all part of one dance of energy. And there are different levels to it. And the highest level, the one that's closest to the oneness of the Holy Mother Source energy, is what they call cosmic consciousness or Christ consciousness. And we all have access to that inside with our own inner channel to the truth. But then there's other levels down from that. And, uh, and the soul is with the capitalist is one of the higher levels and the, the soul that comes into human body is basically the same as the spirit, I think. Right. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. So let's talk about codependency or codependence. What is codependence, Robert? Codependence is it's outer or external dependence. We were taught to look outside of ourselves to find out our self-definition and self-worth. People, place, and things, money, property, and prestige, accomplishments, popularity, relationships, and also to external manifestations of our own being, like looks and talent and intelligence. And the uh, I believe that that what I learned when I realized that I, that was I was looking outside for that self definition and stuff. I learned to like draw a boundary for myself, make a distinction between ego strength and true self worth. So the ego strength is about the outside or external things. And there's nothing wrong with any of them. There's nothing wrong with good looking or smart or rich or successful. It's when we think that's what gives us worth that we're being codependent. And I believe it's actually, you know, it is actually, you know, like uh, 
worshiping false gods or being too attached to the illusion. And I believe our true worth comes from our, our, our spiritual essence, that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. We're connected to the source. We're extension of the divine. We're the forces with us. We're children of God or a goddess and part of the great spirit, however we want to say it. But our true worth comes from be, being connected to the one, that we're connected to the oneness of everything. All human beings have inherent worth because they're connected to the oneness of everything and not because of the temporary outside stuff. But we were taught the exact opposite. We were taught to look outside for our self-worth and our self-definition. And that's just enough to be codependent. We were also taught to compare ourselves to others. Growing up in codependent cultures, we learned self-worth was a competitive issue, which means everyone has to have some other people to look down on in order to feel good about themselves. And firstly, they have somebody to look up to to feel like I mean, they're not there yet. So here isn't okay, but we're better than them, but we're not going to be okay till we get there. It's a crappy, horrible way to live. That's true. <laughs> That's so true. We inherited it. You know, see, I, you know the, because of the polarization of the lower mind, it caused the, the energy field of collective human emotional consciousness to be reversed to the truth of love and a loving God for a thousand years. And I believe that that, energy field of human emotional consciousness reversed back into positive alignment with a with a loving higher power in the late 80s around the time of the harmonic conversion and that was actually the dawning of the age of aquarius whose energy is very different from the age of pisces which preceded it you know and so we are in a new age it's, i call the age of my age of healing and joy but we still have this polarization of the of the lower mind that needed to be dealt with and that's what's going on now so what are you what that I got off on all that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's oh, wonderful to me. <laughs> and that's so within the subject, the topic of healing and joy. <laughs> so do you connect the mind to consciousness? Are they all the same as well or connected somehow? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's different levels of consciousness and there's a collective consciousness. And, and uh, you know, the mind is much bigger than the brain, I believe, you know. <laughs> Mind is, and and so there, uh, and I think we are all connected in in, in consciousness. Uh, but we have, you know, part of part of the illusion is we have this in, individual identity, which is, you know, which is not the higher truth. You know, we're all one, highest level. You know, it's like it's like the the, the whole thing about uh, having free will is bullshit because on the highest level there is no no one has a choice to separate because separation is an illusion. So on the lower levels, there's some there's there's choices, but not on the highest level. And so we're all connected in that oneness. Yeah, you know, it's all energy. And like I said, so we have a energy field of of, of, of our intellectual consciousness, and it's a form. It's a it forms an energy field that we interpret, you know, a life around us out of it and, and our emotional reactions are come out of our interpretations of our mind. But the uh, mind and the, the thoughts and feelings are two different distinct energies that we need to really learn to separate so that we don't let, you know, so that we can start uh, changing how we're relating to life, like that perspective, like I said, and start setting boundaries with the critical parent voice. We have this programming in our own mind that's an enforcer. Codependency is an ego defense system adapted in early childhood to help us survive. And it's emotional, because in early childhood, what happens, you know, the, the core of this wounding comes about because of the natural child developmental process. The part of a child's brain that understands cause and effect and logic and abstract concepts like time or death 
doesn't fully until develop until around seven years old. And, you know, it's it, prior to that, children are egocentric and magical thinking. You know, my grandson, a few months after his seventh birthday on the way to school one night, all of a sudden he pipes up and says, how does Santa Claus get to every house in the world in one night? You know, and his mind is maturing. He's starting to understand logic. And he realized that's a ridiculous concept. But prior to seven children are egocentric and magical thinking. So when we're little kids, our parents are our higher powers. They're the God and goddess in our life. We're not capable of process thought. When we're three, four, five, six, we're not capable of saying to ourselves, wow, mom must be really stressed out. That's why you're yelling at me. You know, so we just know mom's yelling at us. We just know. So anything painful in the environment, any kind of abuse or deprivation, if fighting, anxiety, alcoholism, depression, whatever's going on in the family, we end up internalizing it, feeling like it's our fault because we're the center of the universe as far as we know. And that's where more of the disease comes from. It's what I call toxic shame. And the difference between guilt and shame, in my definition, is that guilt is about behavior. I did something wrong. I made a mistake. Shame right. is about our being. Something's wrong with me. I'm a mistake. And the, the ego, which is a part of our being, which is job is able to survive, then adapts this emotional and behavioral defense system to try to help us survive and keep hidden from other people that we're shameful and unworthy. And it's a lie, all based on this lie that we're shameful and unworthy. So that's wow. <laughs> so that's a, that's amazing. Yeah. So for people who are codependent, which most of us um, have been there, we still are there, <laughs> the ones who still act like children. What is the uh, the most effective healing method to change our core relationship with ourselves that's the thing about codependency it causes us to feel like the victim of our own thoughts and our own feelings and like our own worst enemy and so what i what i learned in my recovery and what i teach to people is how to set internal boundaries and to start changing that core relationship with ourselves and so you know we we need to the, the big tool, the primary tool is to, to start developing a, a detached observer perspective or witness perspective mm -hmm, right. that eventually becomes the empowered adult part of us. But it's real important to start recognizing, you know, I used to think that the critical parent voice in my head was just how I thought. I didn't realize everybody has a critical parent voice. And it's environmental and it's conditioned reflex. And that, I, that I, it wasn't part of my true self. It's not telling me the truth. And so I needed to, to start recognizing that, you know, our, our critical parent voice has been interpreting and translating life for us out of programming from childhood, which is to relate to life from fear, shame, and scarcity, you know. And so we need to stop, stop letting it do that. And uh, so we need to develop this detached observer, but we already have a witness perspective. It's a critical parent voice, you know. And so we need to start recognizing that that wasn't telling me the truth. And uh, so I need to start developing this observer perspective. And one of the things I always uh, point out to people when I'm working with them, I ask them if they've been involved in Eastern meditation practices because they teach an observer perspective in the meditation practices. But it's a passive observer where people observe their thoughts and their feelings, but they don't actually change anything. So this observer perspective I teach people is a proactive intervening observer so we actually go in and change the ego programming. We actually change the neural pathways in our brain by doing by developing the internal boundaries. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. It made me also think about self-love. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? Well, yeah, but the thing is, is that 
you know, there, there's when I first got in 12 step recovery, I heard him tell me that my problem was I was selfish and self-centered, but I also heard it was a selfish program and to thy own self be true, you know? And so when I, I studied that, I realized there's two different levels of self. There's a ego self, which is what we're programmed and wounded in childhood. And that's what codependency is all about. And that's where our addictions and compulsions come from. And there's spiritual self, which is a part of us that knows that every, it's, everything is one and that, we're, and that love is the highest truth. And so what we want to do is start letting spiritual self be what's in control of our life instead of ego self. Self, you know, like I say in my book, selfishness out of out of ego self is destroying the planet. But selfishness out of spiritual self will help us as well. We'll save the planet. But and so we need to accept part of what we need to do is is make a distinction between, you know, with with internally in terms of ourselves. We are unconditionally loved. We always have been. We're part of the oneness. We have always been unconditionally loved. And so so we are already unconditionally loved, but we need to learn how to love ourselves in a healthy way in this in this incarnation in our in our human bodies. Because the ways we learn to love ourselves growing up are all dysfunctional and toxic. Yeah. yeah. True, Robert. So it's accessing that part of us that's already, that unconditional love already exists, is already there. It's a matter of accessing that, right? It's a matter of relaxing into it. You know, it's like, (laughs) we don't get there by trying harder. Mm -hmm. We get there by doing the work so that we can be present and just relax into it and connect to it in the moment, you know? Yeah, yes, I agree. You talk about uh, spiritual evolution and spiritual revolution. What is the difference? I don't know if there is a difference. I mean, I, I've always considered that spiritually evolving was the revolution. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, the first time that somebody told me I was a spiritual being having a human experience, my first response was to get angry. And my first thought was that means I got to be out among them. You know, because I always want to go up on a mountain and meditate my way to God. You know, and when I heard that I was a spiritual being having a human experience, I realized I'm not here to get spiritual. I'm already spiritual. I'm here to bring the spiritual into my human experience. Right. <laughs> and, and that means I need to be out among them. We, we manifest spirituality in our relationships. And that, you know, the way we relate to everything, you know, whatever it is, is and, and because that's that's where the highest truth exists is in our relationships, you know, because everything else is an illusion. We're all illusions. And and but in our, our in, in our relationship, you know, it's like I say, you know, when I'm when I'm able to be present and appreciate a beautiful sunset, you know, the sunset's an illusion. I'm an illusion. But the beauty of the sunset is the highest truth in, in that interaction. You know? I love the way you put that. The way you say that is bringing the spirit, living through the lens of the spirit, of the soul, uh, bringing the spirit into the human experience, right? And we may make a distinction between most all of us have engaged in some shameful behavior. That doesn't make us shameful being a distinction between being and behavior we've all had some addictive or compulsive behavior that we may have been ashamed of afterwards but that doesn't make us a shameful being the codependency causes us to feel like there's something wrong with who we are and there's nothing wrong with who we are it's our relationship with who we are that's all screwed up the relationship it goes back to the relationship right 
Beautiful, beautifully said. True. Uh, we're almost at the end, but I have, have so many points here. We won't be able to go through all of them. But I wanted to touch base to this because this is an interesting subject to me as well. You say a vital part of this healing process is finding some balance in our relationship with the masculine and the feminine energy within us. So talk to me about these two energies that a lot of times we think that they're separate and they, you know, the male, the female. Well, it's like I said, it's like the yin and yang are part of one whole. You know, the masculine and feminine are complementary forces that work in uh, in conjunction with each other. They're not in conflict. They're not in competition. You know, but we got taught, we got all this screwed up <laughs> programming. You know, sometimes when people ask, uh, when, when did codependency start? You know, I, 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 if I go into more detail, I say, you know, this was happening thousands of years ago. And what was described in the Bible and other places was the conditions as they existed after codependency started. And so I, I use the example of the Garden of Eden where uh, Eve got blamed because Adam didn't have boundaries. And that's been going on for thousands of years. That women got blamed because b men didn't have boundaries. Wow. You know, and that's pretty screwed up. Yeah. And I'm thinking here because this term codependence and then makes me think about the opposite would, would be independence. Interdependence. Oh, interdependence. That's what would that be, right? Okay. The balance. When, uh, you know, relationship is one where we give away power over our self-esteem to other people, make other people are outside of us our higher power. An interdependent relationship is two whole people choosing to be allies or, or you know, uh, partners. And when we when we choose to become an ally with somebody, when we choose to to give somebody the power to to make us happy, we also give them the power to make us hurt us you know and so we need to own that we have choices over who we give power over our feelings and that's real different from giving power over our self-esteem you know and so we need to be part of that's really getting important is getting it's really important to get emotionally honest with ourselves so we can have the capacity to be honest with anybody else but we need to in, in anytime we care about anything or anybody you know it's our car our apartment or whatever we're giving some power away, and then we give us the power to hurt us. And so we need to take responsibility for those feelings. Right. We make a choice. You know, it's like I had to take it down to the level where I realized that falling in love is a choice. You know, we get taught about falling in love in our culture like as a, a camouflaged hole in the sidewalk that we accidentally fell in. You know? right. We get taught to be the victim of love. Well, I can't help it. I love him or I love her. You know, and that's supposed to Right, right. You know? Being the victim, not only we have choices, and so we really need to take it down to to own to make better choices. You know, because part of codependency is feeling trapped, feeling like we don't have any choice, and we always have a choice. You know, I, I have one of my articles where I say, if somebody sticks a gun in your face and you says your money or your life, you do have a choice. You know, and a lot of times in life we don't like our choices, but if we don't own that we have choices, then we're we're buying into being a victim, and we need to own that we have the power to choose, and and a big part of it is learning that you know that what we have some control over is almost nothing, but what we do have some control over is our own attitudes and behaviors, and that we can uh, you know choose what attitude to take towards the things we can't can't change, can't control you know we need to own we have the power to choose to, to where to focus our mind and where to, to where to uh 
what to give power away to and who to give power away to. But then we need to take responsibility for that. And we need to stop sabotaging ourselves with our old patterns. Because the way codependency works is we're, we're drawn to people who feel familiar. And they're, and, and they're, we draw attract people who feel familiar. And uh, the reason they feel familiar is because they're recreating our childhood emotional dynamics with our parents. So it was really important for me to realize if I got met somebody that was that felt like my soulmate, I better watch out. <laughs> That's interesting. We we have to go against our own intuition in a way. Yeah. Well, and not not our intuition actually. It's it's the childhood programming because and the the problem that happens when we meet somebody that feels like our soulmate is we have this desperately desperately lonely inner child who starved for love and attention and affection and affection and touch and all the good stuff and wants a relationship so bad that we jump right in with that and ignore all the red lights and warning signs. You know, if you think back to any relationship that turned out badly, you will remember that there were red lights and warning signs at the beginning. And that's what you have to do is get more conscious and be willing to ask the tough questions and call people on their stuff right away. You know, so mm -hmm. I had a client years ago who put it real well. She said she realized that in every relation and all her life in her relationships with men, she was coming from a place like she was auditioning. Oh. <laughs> Does he like, like me? Does he like me? Never stopping to ask, do I like him? You know, what we need to do is be the auditioner and be asking ourselves, is this person somebody I want to invest my time and energy in, my heart and soul in, let alone my heart and soul, and and pay attention to the red lights and warnings because people tell us who they are pretty quickly. Yeah. And we need to recognize that and pay attention to what they're telling us so that we can make better choices about who to invest our time and energy in. You know? Right. I agree. I love this idea of self-knowledge, self-awareness, consciousness, and interconnectedness. So now we, we have that, that space for possibilities, knowing what our choices are. That's so true. I love your work. So I have a few final questions for you. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Okay, here's a passage from my book. I say in the book, there's a quote from the book. There are certain books of truth that I was led to that were especially important in my consciousness raising, in my recovery process. I'm now going to quote a story from one of those books, which means a lot to me. It's a story from a book called Medicine Cards by Jamie Sands and David Carson. This book deals with the medicine wheel and the totem animals of the medicine wheel spiritual beliefs of certain Native American tribes. The subject of this particular story is the swan totem, swan power. As swan looked high over, above sacred mountains, she saw the biggest swirling black hole she had ever seen. Dragonfly came flying by, and Swan stopped him to ask about the black hole. Swan said, Dragon, or Dragonfly said, Swan, that is the doorway to the other planes of imagination. I have been the guardian of the illusion for many, many moons. If you want to enter there, you would have to ask permission and earn the right. Swan was not so sure she wanted to enter the black hole. She asked Dragonfly what was necessary for her to earn entry. Dragonfly replied, you must be willing to accept whatever the future holds as it is presented without trying to change the Great Spirit's plan. Swan looked at her ugly little duckling body and then answered, I will be happy to abide by the Great Spirit's plan. I won't fight the currents of the black hole. I will surrender to the flow of the spiral and trust what I am shown. Dragonfly was very happy with Swan's answer and began to spin the magic to break the pond's illusion. Suddenly, Swan was engulfed by a whirlpool in the center of the pond. 
Swan reappeared many days later, but now she was graceful and white and long-necked. Dragonfly was stunned. Swan, what happened to you? Explained. Swan smiled and said, Dragonfly, I learned to surrender my body to the power of the great spirit and was taken to where the future lives. I saw many wonders high on sacred mountain, and because of my faith and my acceptance, I have been trained. I learned to accept a state of grace. And I say a state of grace is the condition of being loved unconditionally by our creator without having to earn that love. We are loved unconditionally by the great spirit. What we need to do is learn to accept the state of grace. The way we do that is to change the attitudes and belief within us that tell us we are not lovable. And we cannot do that without going through the black hole. The black hole we need to surrender to traveling through is a black hole of our grief. This journey within through our feelings is a journey to knowing that we are loved, we are lovable. It's through willingness, acceptance, through surrender, trust, and faith that we can begin to own the state of grace, which is our true condition. How beautiful. That summarizes everything in a way. Um, Well, it doesn't take away the work that we need to do, right, Robert, to get there. You know, we have to get awareness before we can change. We have to get aware that we're the way we're doing things isn't because there's something wrong with it. It's because of how we were programmed and wounded. Right, right. So true. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. I love your wisdom. It's profound. I have uh, three questions for you, final questions. What is another word for healing? I don't know, recovery, I guess. Yeah. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, with this this COVID thing, you know, I'm in a susceptible group. I've got a couple of underlying conditions and and I'm a, a boomer, you know. And uh, so what I did is I started doing these Zoom workshops for people around the world where I, I share my uh, the formula I learned, the the the, for in, integrating the spiritual truth into our emotional relationship with life because I wanted to spread it to as many people as possible in case I do exit, you know. That's wonderful. Yeah, and you're very much aware of that, uh, the lessons that we're all here to share, right, that we have learned. So I have one more question. What are three things about this reality that you know for sure? Well, what I, what I know for sure is that I am a spiritual being having a human experience and that I'm here going through boarding school and then I'm going to get to go home and I'd be glad to go home. I, I never felt I never felt <laughs> like this was I always felt like somebody <laughs> screwed up in the transporter room and sent me to the wrong place, you know, because I never felt at home <laughs> and uh, I always tried to go home. And I, that's why I wanted to things I talk about in my book is that addictions, compulsions, uh, obsessions, those are all attempts to raise our vibrational frequency so we can go home because we all know it's, we feel like it's, I mean, no, we can tell this is not home, you know, that's why we do, why we do, do, did all these, these things to try to raise our vibrational frequencies because we were trying to go home. And so it's really important to be able to forgive ourselves for not knowing, uh, how to do it in a healthy way, you know? When you say home, just for clarification, where is home? Well, you know, there's, you know, this place I'm living in now feels like home here. It's the first place I, I'd ever been. It felt like home on the planet. But home to me is, is uh, you know, back a part of the oneness. It, it's, it's been, mm-hmm. I've always felt like I wanted to go home and it wasn't here, you know. 
Right. I mean, we have been talking about accessing or allowing that unconditional love, divine force to take hold of us. Would that make this now home when we access that? Well, we can, we can, we can connect to that unconditional love. We can connect to the joy uh, in the moment for moments. We can't stay connected to it while we're in body. You know, we can't get uh, enlightened and be in a place called enlightenment. You know, it's, I don't, I believe, uh, you know, that it, it is a, we, we connect to it in temporarily in the moment and, uh, and while we're here, uh, but hopefully, you know, that, uh, we'll be able to, to get there some one of these days. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. It might be that to get there, it's just, goes back to that idea of acceptance is surrender again, just being in between uh, the opposites. So not choosing really sides. And no, we know there's no separation anyway. So it has been a wonderful conversation. I love how genuine you are and the profound wisdom that you're trying to, that you're sharing with all of us. Thank you so much, Robert. Okay, cool. It's great to be here. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Well, the um, my web- website is joy to me and you me you dot com. So it's seven characters, uh, uh, six letters and a number. So it's J O Y the number two M E letter U. And I also have a, a mobile friendly website, which is joy to me you two dot com. And so if you look up Joy to Me You, you'll find uh, you'll find me. Thank you so much again and we'll talk soon. Okay, great. Yeah, bye for now, Robert. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Robert Burney, please visit his website, joytomeu.com. more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Bye.